Well, it's great to be here. Uh, it's so thrilling to uh, travel internationally. Everybody smile. And uh, uh, just a joy to be here with, your, with all of you that are a result of the love and the obedience of these dear people. Uh, thanks to Mar Father Mark and Rosemary Waters who made this connection for us in the first place. And I bless you. They are amazing uh, uh, couple that are transformational in what they bring. And uh, I'm excited. Another connection that uh, where I, they came to GSI and then that's how we got connected. In just a couple weeks, uh, Mark and I are going to be down in Selma, Alabama to uh, a transformation conference at a very strategic African-American church. So anyway, I'm just a boy from Illinois. I, uh, I was a Baptist pastor. Uh, raised up in the American Baptist Churches, USA, and uh, um, after graduating from seminary, moved to Southern Illinois, and while I was in Southern Illinois, uh, another pastor in my denomination in a sister church about eight miles away from us, uh, we started having conversations. His name was Randy Clark, and we were both in churches of about 150 people, and just hungry for God, we, we figured out that what seminary offered us wasn't working. And so in order for us to succeed, we needed more. And so Randy uh, and I met John Wimber at a conference with James Robison back in the early 80s. And Randy uh, was bold enough. The one thing I love about Randy, he's humble, but he's bold. That's a great combination, right? He was bold enough to invite John to his church. Uh, John says, well, I, I can't come but I can send a team to you. And so a team led by Blaine Cook and Ken Fish and some other uh, young men came to Randy's little church in uh, Spillertown. It was called, the name of the church was Spillertown Baptist Church, little white clabbered church out in the middle of coal mining country and oil field country out in the outskirts of town. And in four days in March of 1984, we encountered the presence of God, the power of God in such a way that we were completely, just absolutely killed by God. As a matter of fact, we called those series of meetings the Spillertown Massacre. Everybody smile. It was the Spillertown Massacre because, not, number one, we were ruined for anything other than real, live, honest-to-goodness presence of God Christianity, what I call kingdom Christianity. I remember the first night that I, I was in those meetings and Blaine Cook stepped up and began to teach on the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, if you've ever been in a moment where your paradigm, that is your worldview and the way that you look at life and everything, when it shifts... I mean, that's, that happened to me that night. And all of a sudden, I realized, wait a minute. Everything that I've been putting off until Jesus comes back, which, by the way, for those of us in Baptist and evangelical and, and what we would call conservative Christianity, uh, we put every, all the promises in the Old Testament and all the promises of Jesus, we put off to the second coming of Jesus. We say, all oh, that's going to happen then. The reality is it's happening right now. The reality is, and then when Jesus' feet hit the earth with his ministry, he said, the kingdom of God is here now. Yeah. And so that shifted. And secondly, most of his pastors that were in those meetings lost our jobs within the next two years. So it really was a massacre. But it was awesome because God has a tendency to take that which, which would be, a, come on, right? Come on. You know, that which would seem to be a heartbreaking thing and actually launch you into the purpose and destiny of God. So that happened in March of 1984, and we're still doing it in Jesus' name. Come on. Somebody praise God, will you? 
So I've, I've pastored in Baptist context. I've planted two churches, one for vineyard and one non-denominational, which, uh, which is why I love the non-denominational church, the church that, that although you, you may not be connected to a particular denomination, you can have a heart to reach out to all, all segments of the body of Christ. I actually pastored a spirit-filled Mennonite church. Spir there are spirit-filled Mennonites, believe it or not. If that rocks your boat, I hope it does, because they're amazing spirit-filled Mennonites, and that was the church that Randy uh, asked me if I would be willing to come and direct his school in October of 2011, and uh, so after literally living 58 years in Illinois, I moved from Illinois to Pennsylvania, and uh, so glad that I did, so very happy that I did. So I, I want any baseball fans in the room, anybody? I have, uh, I have eight words today to tell you that, that prove that the age of miracles has not passed. As a matter of fact, no, I have eight words, but I have a hat. The Chicago Cubs are the World Series champions. Come on. Anybody? Come on. I mean, seriously. If you saw game seven, it was a, we were literally on the ceiling, and we were like, oh, my gosh. But th there's... If your eyes are open and if you have eyes and ears to see and hear, you begin to see major events in our countries and in our world are prophetic speaking by God saying, I'm allowing this to happen so that the church will wake up. And one of the things that was always talked about, the Chicago Cubs, is that it had been 108 years since they'd won the World Series. And that there was this curse that this guy who couldn't bring his billy goat in uh, to one of the games back in the 30s or 40s said that he put a curse on it. And literally the day after the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, there was a headline in the Chicago Tribune that said, Curse Breaker. Now that's powerful. Because two weeks later, there was a soccer game, a championship soccer game, and I can't remember whether it was collegiate or whatever, but a, uh, a team that had never won the championship, and it talked about how because they had never won a championship, they're, they're, they had a curse over them, that they won the championship, I mean, blew the other team completely away. And there's this sense of hope that rises up when teams that have been struggling for 108 years to win the World Series, there's a sense of hope that raises up in people's lives that, wait a minute, wait a minute, the impossible actually may be possible. There may be more available to you and I than what we realize. And what happens is so many, uh, Pastor Ian, you were, you were moving into uh, part of my message this morning because I'm telling you that part of what happens for so many of us is because of the disappointments that we continue to have that that our history of disappointments we have a tendency to see our lives continue to narrow and narrow and narrow and that which we think is really available to us we think is no longer available to us either because of things that have happened to us because of choices that we've made because of the current state of economics or the current state of our country and I'm telling you that in Jesus name you live in a greater kingdom you live in a higher reality the, the thing you need to understand is this there, every morning that you wake up, you're in a war zone. 
And that war zone is over the reality that you are going to focus on. So first of all, there's the reality that all of us relate to. It's what we were born into, and that is the reality of the materialist worldview that says the only thing that's real is, is what we can perceive with our five senses, that which we can see, smell, taste, touch, or hear, that which we know we can put our hands on or we can see or we can hear. That's the only thing that's real. That's a materialist reality that limits us significantly to an understanding of what's available to us. Now, the reason why you have difficulty talking with your friends about the reality of the kingdom is because you can't point to a castle. You can't point to a, to a, big, uh, a big place and say, there's the kingdom of God or there's the kingdom of God. And so people say, well, I don't get this thing of the concept of the kingdom. But there is a, another reality, and that is the reality of the kingdom of God. And the question that you have to wake up with every morning is this. What reality am I going to focus on? What is going to be the reality that becomes the place where I get my information, where I get my truth, where I get the sense of who I am, what my identity is, and what's available to me? Now, you see, the materialist reality is, is a reality. It's, it's a real thing. It's here. The problem is, and this is very important, is that it's a temporal reality. The Bible says that everything you can see, smell, taste, touch, and hear is passing away. So there's not, if you try to lay a foundation of your life or try to get your truth or try to get a sense of identity or what's available to you from that, you are building your house on sand. The reality of the kingdom is, it is a kingdom and a government, according to Isaiah chapter 9, that is expanding, that is increasing, and will never pass away. You are, when you build your life on the foundations of God's kingdom, God's family, his love, and what is available to us through his kingdom, then you build your house, that is, you build your life upon that which is eternal. But here's the key, folks. The reality that you focus the most on is that which you release every day. If your focus is on ma the materialist reality, if your focus is on what everybody else is talking about, politics, the economy, you know, how bad is it going to get, how good is it going to get, all of that stuff. If you let your mind and your heart be filled with all of that, then everywhere you go, that's the reality you're going to present and release. And guess what, folks? You're not making a difference anywhere you go because that's what everybody else is doing. You know, one of the things we're having to, to repent of and get our, our literally get our, our minds and our palates cleansed in America, at least in the American church, is just the fact that through social media and through all the Twitters and all this other stuff, we've been joining in as much with... All of, the, all of the garbage that's 
gone through our political system over the last year. And now we've literally, in a place of a hangover, whether you are for the president-elect or not, the bottom line is, is this. We have gone through a, a time where we have joined in to the same political spirit, which is, by the way, demonic, the same political dialogue, which has been nothing about destruction and negativism. Many of us have joined into that in such a way that now we're at a place now that we, we've got to get over that. I mean, literally, we've got to build a bridge and get over that. We've got to start speaking again about what God's kingdom is saying about our reality and not what politics is saying. And until you get a shift in that, you're going to continue to live in that reality. But I'm telling you, the only way that you become an atmosphere changer, a history maker, and a culture shaper in this world is by bringing another reality into play wherever you go. You bring another presence into play wherever you go. You bring another power into play wherever you go. And instead of people standing around with mopey, mopey faces saying, well, you know, it's really going to be bad now with this Trump guy in, and I'm really scared to death, and I really, I, I don't know, I'm really afraid for our country and all this other stuff. You step in and say, hey, you know what? Jesus is still on the throne. Yes. Nothing's changed in Jesus. Nothing's changed in the kingdom. As a matter of fact, the times of transition and the times of great pressure and the times of great difficulty is the greatest time for the church of Jesus Christ to step in and say, hey, there's another reality. Amen. As a matter of fact, I live with the conviction. You guys have heard me say this at uh, Global Summer Intensive. I believe that this is the greatest day that's ever been on the face of the earth to be a believer and a disciple of Jesus Christ. I believe that of all days, this moment, this period of time is the greatest day to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, there has never been more available to the church in terms of knowledge, in terms of revelation, in terms of the ability to get the gospel of the kingdom out to the entire world. There has never been more of an outpouring of the Spirit of God upon other religions, upon other faiths, upon countries that heretofore were uh, completely closed to Christianity, and now they're experiencing revival. They're experiencing an outpouring of revival in these areas where hundreds of thousands of people are coming into the kingdom on a monthly basis. I'm telling you, and I say this to you, I believe, I have this deep conviction in my heart that all of those that have gone before us, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, those that were in the first great awakening, the second great awakening, all of those that have gone before us whose books of history we read about went through awesome revivals, they're literally looking over the balcony of heaven and they're saying to us, we prayed for this moment. We want to be with you. We are so excited about what's available to you. Go for it, church. Go for it. Rise up and be the people of God that we prayed for you. Understand, somebody paid a price in prayer and laying down their lives so you can experience what you're experiencing today. 
somebody built a foundation for you. You may not know until you get to heaven, but though those ones that did are literally leaning over the balcony of heaven. They are for us. They are part of that great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews 12 and 13 talks about that is literally leaning over the balcony of heaven and saying, go for it, church. This is our moment. So no matter what, no matter what you think is an obstacle to you, is nothing in the sight of a kingdom whose government is increasing. You know, I love how science ev eventually catches up with the Bible. You know, it says about in Isaiah chapter 9, of, of the increase of Jesus' government, there will be no end. How many of you know that they're continuing to find out that the universe is expanding? That they're finding out that there's more and there's more and there's more out there than they could ever, the, the more that the technology improves in terms of being able to look with telescopes and things like that, they find out that there's much, much more out there than any, five years ago than anybody could have ever imagined. So, gosh, the Bible is true. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Somebody praise Jesus, will you? I'm going to go to Isaiah 61. It's a very familiar passage. But I want to talk today with you about the path to power. What is the path to power that is essential for the church today? How many of you have, have walked or been in a church Pentecostal, charismatic, where we understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have done that for at least five years or more? Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay. So you know of people that in the church, whether it's within the last five years or down in the history of the outpouring of the Spirit, great men and women of God who have uh, moved in great power and great anointing, and yet at the same point, they have a lot of brokenness in their lives. And many times that brokenness ends up kind of rising to the surface. And even though they may have a great anointing, a great gifting, and a great calling, the, the brokenness that they refuse to deal with, the brokenness that they continue to walk in, eventually comes up to a place where it literally short-circuits the ministry that God has given them. If you know what I'm talking about, just wave a hand at me. I believe that everybody in this room, I don't care who you are, I, I sweep across here, and I want to say to you that everybody in this room is a candidate to walk in some of the greatest anointing power that God has available for any man and woman right now because the job is so great. And because this is an apostolic sending center, this is an apostolic sending center. You're in a right place where... Pastor Ian and Tina and the leadership are not about trying to keep you here to make their, little, their, their place a, a little act. I don't mean that in a sarcastic way, but there's a lot of churches, a lot of pastors that try to keep everybody in their little place, you know, keep them right there so that they have a nice little act and everything like that. When in reality, this apostolic sending center is about releasing as many of you as possible to go out and bring in the harvest. Could I get an agreement in the room? So I'm telling you that everybody in this room is a candidate. Turn to somebody and say, I am a candidate. As a matter of fact, I'm qualified. Say, I'm qualified. 
Because, see, God doesn't call the qualified. Listen to me. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. He qualifies the call. And on top of that, that which you think, Joseph Garlington says this. I, I just love this quote. That which you think qualifies you actually disqualifies you. And that which you think disqualifies you actually qualifies you. What does that mean? It simply means that those of us who feel that our history, our family background, our brokenness, the things that we still struggle with, maybe our lack of, of education may limit us in terms of what God may do with us. But I'm telling you, God takes the most broken people and he raises them up because they simply know that they can't do anything apart from him. Where their where thirst and their hunger and their dependence upon God becomes greater than any concern for embarrassment, any concern for what people are going to think about them. And because they're so broken, because they're so hungry, because they're th so thirsty, they cry out to God, and God comes and not only meets their need, but actually raises them up to a place where people can look at them and say, there's no way that that person could do what they're doing. That must be God. So the pathway to power comes through brokenness. It comes through brokenness. It comes to people who have the experience of having broken hearts. I'm not asking you to turn there, but you can write this down if you're taking notes. In Psalm 34, 18, David, the psalmist, writes, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he... He saves those who are crushed in spirit. I've been blessed since I've come to work with Randy Clark to step into an anointing and step into a realm where uh, I have the privilege of praying for men and women. Primarily started out with military and uh, active duty soldiers. Then it moved to first responders, police officers, firefighters, emergency medical technicians. And then it's, it's even moved on to um, uh, civilians, people who struggle with post-traumatic stress, praying for them. And through a healing prayer model that the Holy Spirit uh, revealed to me as I was praying for somebody with post-traumatic stress, uh, I have been able to go all over the United States. I've gone to five countries, and I've trained tens of thousands of men and women how to pray for people with post-traumatic stress disorder and within a, a matter of between five and fifteen minutes we have seen literally tens of thousands of people get completely set free of post-traumatic stress disorder suicidal spirits get broken chronic pain leaving sleep returning the, the, the traumatic images and memories just drying up and dying and it's it's been an amazing thing but the Lord has shown me that Trauma, and particularly post-traumatic stress disorder, is really a soul injury. Say soul injury. It is not a psychological problem. It is not a mental illness. It is not even a traumatic brain injury. It is a soul injury. Now, the soul, according to the Bible, is the mind, the will, and the emotions. And when it says the term heart, it's referring to that soul. 
So when David says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit, David speaks from experience. I believe that David was probably one of the most traumatized people in the Bible. You know, you, th you might think of Job, you might think of others, but I'm telling you, if you read David's history and then you read the Psalms, you begin to see a man who knows what it is to be at the heights of joy in the presence of God, the power of God, just praising him, but also going into the very depths of despair where he can say in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He can be in a, in a moment of rage and anger where he tells God, God, cut out the tongues of my enemies, send arrows into their hearts, you know, destroy my enemies, you know, like a typical day for most of us. And, uh, but literally, he, he's on this roller coaster ride in the Psalms. I, I love what Bill Johnson says when Bill is going through a difficult time and he doesn't know how to pray. He gets into the Psalms and he reads the Psalms until he finds his voice. And in the Psalms, when you don't know how to pray about a situation, if you just allow the Psalms to find a place where you can talk to God, begin a conversation starter, it's an amazing thing. Because literally every emotion of the human heart is portrayed in the Psalms. Now here's some good news. Not only does it say the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit, but there's other good news. And if Psalm 147.3 says, the Lord heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. This is a precursor to a prophecy that you and I are going to look at in Isaiah 61. But there is this understanding that God is not, it is not enough for God for you to know his presence, for you to know his love, for you to be saved to go to heaven, maybe even be powerfully used by God and still remain in your brokenness. Many people don't know this story, but I, I can tell it because I've been given permission by Dr. Randy Clark. How many of you know that Randy Clark was used in January of 1994 to be a catalyst for the Toronto Blessing? How many of you know that? What most of you don't know is that as they decided to continue on the meetings, John and Carol Arnott, particularly Carol Arnott, has, has an amazing ministry of emotional healing and, and transformation for people. So at nighttime, while Randy was preaching and you know just laying people out and the Spirit of God was coming in power, during the day, Carol was ministering to Randy, healing from all of his brokenness. That Randy had lots of issues as... As a, as a pastor and as a man, like, like guys, men and women, we all got issues. Some of us have enough issues to have a subscription. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I don't care how anointed and how, you know, amazing you think a man or woman of God is, we all have issues. Turn to somebody and say, we all have issues. So Randy had some issues. And so literally for weeks on end, for weeks on end, Carol would meet with him and they would pray and God would just begin healing Randy's broken heart and getting rid of some of the, yes, pastors can carry demons. How many of you know that? Anybody? You know, anybody? I, you know, we, we can have some problems with some demonic things happening with us. 
And so the Lord really set Randy free. So I believe that one of the reasons why the Toronto blessing continued was not only because John and Carol kept going after it, but because I believe as it went on, Randy got healed, got more revelation, and it was allowed to continue to grow and grow. Where many of you know that some of the most premier inner healing and emotional healing and deliverance ministries actually were birthed out of the Toronto blessing. Somebody praise God for that, would you? So God is not content with you just being a mighty instrument in his hand to be used by God to save, heal, deliver, and, 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 and bring, bring salvation to people. God is really all about you. He really loves you. He wants you to know that the most important thing for him is not that he use you. You're not a tool. You're not a tool. You're not a tool that, that God can say, okay, I'll pick up my tool now and I'll use them and I'll, I'll use them really hard and I'll just beat the life out of them and everything like that. And then once I'm done with them, I'll just kind of put them back in the toolbox and leave them there. You're not a tool. As a matter of fact, can, maybe we can get out of this language of God using us. Because do you know that that word alone is a trigger to people? Because there's been a lot of people who've been used in their families, in society, and in the church. Because, see, God is more concerned about you experiencing wholeness in your life. We hear lots of amazing testimonies that, where God gets glory from people who, through their suffering, do amazing things for God and through perseverance do amazing things for God. And I agree, God does get glory out of that. But I think the greatest glory that God gets is when people can rise up above their brokenness, above their sin, above the demonic things that have been in their lives, above their history, and they walk in what the Bible calls shalom. Shalom is not just peace, but it, it literally refers to wholeness in every single area of life. And we have a, when we have a church that begins to rise up out of our brokenness and begin to walk in wholeness, then I believe God gets his greater glory out of that because all of a sudden we become like Israel. How many of you know that Israel was supposed to be God's greatest evangelism tool on the face of the earth? They were to come into this amazing promised land they were to experience the bounty of walking in covenant with God. Read Deuteronomy 27 and 28 sometimes and see that if they walked in covenant with God, these were the blessings that were going to come upon them. They were going to become the most blessed people on the face of the earth. They would never be in any need, any want, any poverty. That God would take the smallest the littlest, most broken people who, rose, who came out of slavery and turned them into the most blessed people on the face of the earth so that all the other nations with their puny little gods would turn and say, oh my gosh, look what their God is doing for them. I want that God. 
So now we become that evangelism yeah. method. When we experience wholeness and when we, through our testimony, can give people hope and life, we can give them a sense that wholeness is available no matter how bad your life has been, then that becomes the gospel of the kingdom. See, I, as a Baptist, any Baptist or former Baptist in the room, anybody? Any Baptists at all? No Baptists? Oh, there's, there's one. Hallelujah. So in the Baptist, I can talk. So in the Baptist church, when we were raised up as Baptists, it was all about salvation. We got to get people saved. And so every Sunday, we preached on salvation. And even though we also believed in eternal security, that is, once saved, always saved, you know, the preacher would preach on salvation, even though everybody in the place was saved. And every once in a while, just to make him feel better about himself, we'd actually go forward and try to get saved again, even though we were already saved. But anyway, as a Baptist pastor, it was all about getting people saved, right? And, and then having messages to say, okay, well, this is how to cope now. You know, you're saved, and now this is how to be a good boy or a good girl in, in God, you know? So you'd teach those things about running away from sin and things like that. But I had this twisted idea one day that since in the Baptist church we dunk people, that is, we put them under the water and then bring them back up as a beautiful picture of rising up into a new life in Christ, that if the whole thing about salvation is getting them to heaven, why don't I just leave them down in the water for 15 minutes? A lot less trouble. My job's done. Hallelujah. Right, you can relate to that, Ian, can't you? Amen. But salvation is much more. Much, say much more. It's much more about going to heaven. It's about living heaven right here on earth. It's about living in such a way where our lives literally become a conduit of heaven coming down to earth. And with the wholeness that God gives us and we experience, then we release that into the earth in such a way that many people leave their puny gods and come to the God who really is God. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 61, thank you for waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for me to get there. I'm there now. Hey, if we could, can you throw up that PowerPoint for me? That would be awesome. There it is, thank you. It says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted and other translations say the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of sorrow, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness or fainting, so that they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Then they will rebuild, and this is not in the PowerPoint, then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities. Does this sound like America and Canada right now? The desolations of many generations. And strangers will stand and pasture your flocks and foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers, but you will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. 
Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. This is the prophecy that the Jewish people would know that when the Messiah showed up, that is, when his feet hit the ground and began his ministry, they would know by this happening, he was the Messiah. Now, what's fascinating here is that we all know that the, the, uh, the religious leaders of Jesus' time didn't see this. But if you look carefully at Isaiah 61, it describes specifically what the primary indicator whether or not this Messiah was true or not would be. Number one, he would speak and preach the good news to the afflicted and to the poor. Not the establishment, not the powers that be, to the afflicted and to the poor. And number two, he would bind up the brokenhearted. That is, his primary ministry would be to reach into the broken devastated souls of an afflicted and poor people and bring them back to a place that they know what their true identity is in God. They begin to understand themselves as sons and daughters and they rise up to a place that they realize that that which has been denied to me in reality now has become available through the ministry of Messiah who has come. Do you know how I know that? Because in the very next verse, it, it talks about proclaiming liberty to captives, which those who have been put into shackles and chains because of what has happened to them, and freedom to prisoners, those who are in prison because of what they have done, that is not a repetitive statement. Those are two entirely different people, captives and prisoners. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Do you understand what the favorable year of the Lord is? It's the year of Jubilee. It's the year that all of those who went into slavery because of either having to sell themselves to a rich person because they were in so much debt or they lost their land because of something bad that happened to them. They lost their inheritance because of something, uh, a horrible accident or horrible tragedy took place. At the 50th year in the land of Israel, all of that that took place that was part of devastation, that was part of brokenheartedness, that was part of losing what was really mine, all of a sudden it all gets returned back to you. And that which originally was intended for you to have available to you, for you to experience the joy of, and literally to be made whole. By the way, which is a legal term. Do you know in, in, in the law, when you are dealing with a class action suit, the idea is that whoever has been injured by whatever has taken place not only gets damages and things like that, but literally the whole purpose of that is to be made whole that was the purpose of messiah's ministry 
Now, I, I like to call this the instead of ministry of Jesus. In the instead of ministry of Jesus, look with me in verse 3, to comfort all who mourn. So if you've been in a period of mourning, if you've been in a period of grieving that which is lost, the first thing you get from Messiah is you receive comfort. There's a reason why Holy Spirit is called Comforter. Because there are seasons in life that we go through loss. But he comes bringing not only comfort that is healing to the broken heart, but he also comes bringing hope, letting you know it's not always going to be this way. Everybody smile at me. It's not, do I need to change again? Oh, am I good? It's not always going to be this way. To, so instead of mourning, you receive comfort and hope that this is just a season. It's just a season. Yeah. Number two, I'm going to grant to those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland of beauty instead of ashes. As I go throughout the body of Christ and I I, I speak a number of messages, but particularly when I get to the arena of trauma and healing broken hearts, I find a lot of people who feel like that who they are, who they really are in their identity, is so broken that it feels like ashes. And it feels like that there's nothing that was ever available to them to have what they understood as who they are restored. The good news that Messiah brings to the afflicted, the poor, and even to those who feel like that all they have in their hands are ashes is that he comes to bring a garland of beauty back to you and say, not only am I restoring you to the beauty of your life as what you thought it might be, but it's going to be even more beautiful than you could ever possibly imagine. I has not seen nor ear has heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But it is by the Spirit of God that he has revealed these things to us. He doesn't keep you in the dark. Smile at me. He doesn't keep you in the dark. He lets you know what's available to you. So we get a garland of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of sorrow. This sense of joy and gladness be something that we carry that is beyond our circumstances, that is beyond the materialist reality, and it is a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. And it comes not only because of the certain foundation of who is in us and walks with us, but the absolute rock-solid promise, the absolute rock-solid certainty that no matter what I'm going through at this moment, I can still walk in joy because my God works things all together for my good because I love God and I'm called according to his purpose. So I'm telling you, no matter how deep the tragedy is, 
no matter how difficult the season that you walk through, no matter how alone you may feel at that moment because all have betrayed you, your Savior walked through the same thing. And while he was called on one side a man of sorrows, Hebrews chapter 1 declares that he had the oil of gladness and joy above his brethren. How does that happen? How do you become identified as a man of sorrows and yet carry an oil of gladness and joy? You do it out of intimate relationship with the one who sent you, with the one who created you, because he gives the biggest picture. You see, how many of you know what is the most, you guys can answer this, you've heard this. What's the most important piece, what's the most important part of a jigsaw puzzle? What's that? Nope. Anybody tell me what's the most important part of a jigsaw puzzle? Nope. Nope. It's the box. Joseph, come on. Give it up for Joseph. Come on. Why is it the box, Joseph? It shows you what the big picture is. You don't know how to put the pieces together until you see the big picture. And the only way you get the big picture is by seeing God's perspective. By getting his perspective, knowing therefore that no matter what I walk through, the big picture is so much greater than anything I could imagine, and I can make it through here because God has the big picture and has me in mind in Jesus' name. Amen? So not only do I get the oil of joy, but then I get the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. I don't have to carry heaviness. I don't have to carry depression. I don't have to carry discouragement. When I praise Him, when I worship Him, when I give myself fully into worshiping the One who created me and is for me and connecting with Him, then all of that stuff lifts off of me. Well, you say, then I, do I have to do that all the time? Yeah. You can do that all the time when your mind is set on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Colossians 3.1. So therefore, I have an ongoing conversation going on in my spirit and mind on a regular basis, even as I'm preaching to you now. I'm hearing from my God. We're connecting together. We're walking together. There's just this sense of his presence with me all the time because I'm not just focused on you guys, as beautiful and awesome as you are. I'm also focused on him because he's the greater reality where Christ is seated at the right hand of God is the reality of my life. So therefore, no matter what, as long as I walk in that reality, I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to worry about. I can walk in that and I no longer carry heaviness or, or any kind of depression or discouragement. I walk in joy. Doesn't mean I don't get, I don't face discouragement sometimes. Hear me. This is not a, you know, fake it to make it type of a thing. I face discouragement sometimes. I face depression. I, 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 it comes at me, but I don't let it land on me. I don't let it keep me in the place that it wants me to be. Because I have been there, I have done that, and I have had that t-shirt so many times. As a pastor, this is why you've got to pray for your pastoral leaders all the time, because you have no clue the kind of onslaught of depression, 
discouragement, despair, and hopelessness that comes at them on a regular basis because they have the vision what God has for them and for you. And sometimes they see the reality of what's going on and they think sometimes, oh God, this is never going to happen. And, and you know, you get tired. You know, after a Sunday, you have what's called an adrenaline hangover. And they, I mean, literally, you, you're so pumped on Sunday, and then Mondays is like, you know, you're just out of, which is why they tell pastors, never make any decisions on Monday about anything. <laughs> literally, they tell us that. Don't make any decisions on Monday because of just the, uh, the adrenaline hangover. So I'm saying to you, that it doesn't mean that I don't deal with depression or discouragement sometimes or heaviness, but I do not allow it to rest upon me anymore. I've learned how to keep my focus on him. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay, last thing. So that they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. In that he gets the greatest glory from us when we rise above our histories, when we rise above the trauma of our past, when we rise above all of those things that want to keep us down into a place where we do not understand who we really are in Christ. See, there's an amazing thing about having been broken. It's an amazing thing about having been broken. And I speak from experience because I've been broken so many times. Sometimes by my own choice. Sometimes by the choices of others. And sometimes by events that happened that I still don't have an understanding for. See, in our, in really to order to walk this out in a way where you don't lose hope. You've got to know that there's going to be times that things happen or don't happen and it doesn't make any sense. It's a mystery. It's something we don't fully grasp. Oh, you can chalk it up to spiritual warfare. You can say, oh, it must be the devil. I, I get tired of blaming the devil for everything. There's just some things that are just a mystery that I fully don't comprehend yet. Is this true, brothers and sisters? And it's, uh, you know, I've learned from men like Bill Johnson and Randy Clark that there are things that are, are mysteries that we don't fully comprehend. But if you allow your mind and your heart to get focused on the mystery, then you are a candidate for offense. And when you become offended at God because things haven't happened or things did happen in a way that seemed completely ridiculous, r ridiculous in terms of crazy and doesn't make sense, if your heart becomes offended at God, then that's where the disconnect begins to happen. And then you begin to operate not out of a sense of intimacy and anointing and love and joy, but you operate out of a sense of, well, I'm going to keep doing this even though my heart is offended at God. Brothers and sisters, if your heart is offended at God, stop. Stop whatever you're doing. Stop whatever's happening with you. I don't care how great your anointing is. I don't care how great your ministry is. Stop. 
Get somebody to pray for you. Get out of the craziness of your head that which you're thinking about God and get it right. See, there's, we all know there's stuff in our heads that we're afraid that if we really told people, they would think we were crazy. Is that true of anybody in the room? And the reality is everybody else is thinking the same thing. <laughs> it's really true. But if we have connection and if we can have accountability with people and actually share what we're thinking in our hearts. See, I, I'm going to share with you one thing that I don't understand. You want to hear one of my mysteries? I go all over the world and I pray for post-traumatic stress. And I see people, one of the main things that happens with post-traumatic stress is that because of the overflow of adrenaline and hormones that takes place in people's bodies, that they're, they're, they they're constantly have adrenal fatigue and they have lots of things happening in their bodies. But one of the primary things that happens is they get chronic nerve pain. And so they get neuralgia, they get fibromyalgia, they get chronic nerve pain where it's just, it's just horrendous for them. And in praying for post-traumatic stress, I've seen thousands of people healed of chronic nerve pain where within two months they get they can go completely off all of their antidepressants, all of their nerve killers, all of their painkillers. They can go off. I had one, one veteran who was on 60 pills a day. And he had such a radical healing that he started having ill effects from the medicine. So he went back to his doctor. His doctor started peeling off all of his medication. And finally, he got down to no medication whatsoever. In a period of a month, he was completely off all medication. So here's my mystery. My wife had shingles about four and a half years ago. And um, yet they'd misdiagnosed it. They thought it was pleurisy. So we went through a period of time that we were trying to get it diagnosed properly. And finally they got it diagnosed right. Well, by that time it set into something called post-herpetic neuralgia. That is basically chronic nerve pain. It's very painful. It's like having shingles all the time. She doesn't, have the the, she doesn't have the rash anymore, but she has chronic nerve pain to the extent that she stays in bed two to three days out of the week. Uh, she's on major medication, major narcotics, just to control her nerve pain. We've prayed, we've fasted, we've done everything we know to do. And she has some great days, and she's had some victories in it. But she's not healed yet. And she looks me in the eye when she can't go with me. And she says, go do what you're doing. It's okay. I'm okay. We're okay. God's going to give us a victory. Now go do this, whether I can go with you or not. She's the one that sends me out. Not offended by God or why it, she hasn't had her healing yet. It's a piece of brokenheartedness that I still carry because I, Rosemary knows my dear wife. She just can't do all that she would like to do with me. But we're going to have victory. We already have victory. And we're going to see it fully manifest in the days ahead very quickly in Jesus' name. But if you become offended at God, then there comes an open doorway for the enemy to come in and get you to a place of little faith or no faith. And I refuse that in Jesus' name. Anybody? So why am I talking about all this today? Because I really believe that the pathway to power is getting your broken heart healed. 
Go up to my PowerPoint again and go to that picture, if you would, of that piece of pottery. There's a piece of uh, a, a thing in Japanese art called kintsukuroi. And in Japanese culture, they are not a throwaway culture like we are in the West. In other words, if you broke your vase or you broke something in your, in your house, you just go and throw it away. They don't do that in Japan. As a matter of fact, they consider pottery a very sacred, intimate thing because it's a personal creation. So what they do is they take these pots, the, this, the, the shards of pottery, and they piece them together, and what they use is gold or silver lacquer so that when the pot comes back together, it actually has more beauty to it than before it was broken. It actually has more value to it than before it was broken. And I see this beautiful picture as, a, as looking at that as each one of our lives and seeing the gold of the gospel and the gold of the Holy Spirit coming and going to the most broken places in our lives and bringing his gold so that literally we are better for having been broken. And my friends, that is the day of vengeance of our God. When Isaiah 61 says, the day of vengeance of our God, what he refers to is the fact that every bad thing that has ever happened in your life, from the moment that you were conceived in your mother's womb, because when you were conceived in your mother's womb, God has a dream for your life. And he has never given up on that dream. But from the moment that you were conceived in your mother's womb, there's also an enemy of your soul. And that enemy is out to steal to kill, and to destroy the dream of God for your life. Out to shatter you in so many pieces through whether it's pain, whether it's circumstance, whether no matter what it is, he has been out to steal, kill, and destroy the dream of God for your life. But because Jesus the Messiah has come, and because you have believed the good news, because you have allowed him to come and heal your broken heart. The day of vengeance of our God against your enemy and against his plans for your life and against his schemes is to take that which broke you and your broken pieces and actually put you back together. So even though the enemy has done bad things, God says, I'm restoring it. I'm making you better than you ever could have been before. And he has vengeance against the enemy's plans against your life. So you stand honest about your brokenness, but standing as one who says, even though I have been broken, I have been made whole, and so can you. The truth about this is, is that one of the reasons why many of us continue in our brokenness is because we honestly don't believe that we can ever be free of that history. Many of us listen to a lie that says, I'm still defined by my history. I'm defined by what I did or what happened to me. 
So we take on the identity of victim. We take on the, the identity of one who's been traumatized. We take on the identity of that which the enemy has used against us. And we proceed through life, even though we say we're believers, even though we say we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We still have a mindset that says, this is who I really am. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any person be in Christ, they are a new creation, a new species of being. The old has passed away. All things have become new. That literally means that you are no longer defined by your history. You are no longer a captive to what has been done to you. You are not identified by it. No matter how you were violated, betrayed, or assaulted. Victim, captive, is not your identity any longer. No matter what you have done, no matter how many people you have hurt, wounded, betrayed, stolen from, lied to, you are no longer identified by that which you have done. And because the blood of Jesus Christ is strong enough to heal and cleanse and forgive every single sin, Messiah opens the prison door and says, you're no longer a prison, prisoner. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now here's the last piece. Many of you are still haunted by memories and images. Many of you still have nightmares flashbacks to things that have happened to you and things that you've done. And in studying with neuroscientists, what I've learned is that many of us carry traumatic images and memories, and the residing place for those are on the right lobe of the brain. And though those traumatic images and memories are the presenting memory to us, that although they happen in the past, it still feels like the present to us. And what takes place then is that it literally blocks and shuts down the hippocampus, that is the memory center, so that all of the good things of our lives, all the great events and all other stuff, we have difficulty remembering because these traumatic images and memories block them. We're constantly reminded of all those bad things. And here's the other crazy thing. It actually makes you have short-term memory loss where you have difficulty remembering where you put your keys, you have difficulty just remembering things that most people remember because these traumatic images and memories continue to haunt you and they actually became, become an open door for the enemy to gain access to the spirit of fear so that you still have panic attacks, you still have nightmares and night terrors, you have night tremors, you have flashbacks, you don't sleep very well, 
And every once in a while, it's just like this fear comes on you. And it's literally called a spirit of fear. But the good news is, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and guess what? Sound mind. Sound mind means that traumatic images and memories and all the junk that we have believed about ourselves gets released and healed so that we can begin to believe the truth about God. Dr. Carolyn Leaf in her book, Switch on Your Brain, talks about these neural pathways that literally contain the memories, that literally contain the toxic thoughts and the beliefs that are not in agreement with God's word, and that those, those neural pathways can be dealt with. And indeed, your five senses, your seeing, your smelling, your tasting, your touching, your hearing, can be cut off from being triggers to those. And as Jesus spoke to the fig tree in Mark chapter 11 that was not bearing fruit, and he says, dry up and die, we can speak to those traumatic images and memories and command them to dry up and die now in Jesus' name. Sever the neural pathway with the word of God and declare by the power of the Spirit that your mind is free so that you can walk in the reality of what it is to be a new creation in Christ. If I've just described anybody in this room right now, I want you to stand. I want you to take courage. I want you to stand right now. Anybody in the room that's haunted by memories, images of trauma, images that still haunt you, things that you still feel guilty about or you have shame for. See, there's lots of people in this room that are carrying shame right now because of this issue. And Jesus is here this morning to set you free. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? I just feel there's one or two more. You're carrying guilt about something. There's something that I'm not trying to make you dig deep, but you're carrying guilt about something that you're still beating yourself up for. And you can never feel really good about yourself because of the guilt and the shame that you carry over that. The Lord says, today, I'm here, I'm here son. I'm here, daughter to completely set you free. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pray for every one of you. I'm take your right hand, because how many of you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you? Anybody? The Spirit that raised Jesus' dead body from the grave lives in you. And so because He lives in you, therefore you can put your hand on yourself and bring healing in Jesus' name. So take your right hand and put it on the right side of your head. Thank you, Father. Come in power, Holy Spirit, right now. Spirit of living God, I thank you that you're all around this room. You're bringing comfort. <laughs> oh, Lord, you're bringing healing. You're going to bring the oil of joy. You're going to give a garland of beauty instead of ashes. God, right now, in Jesus' name, you're bringing all of that right now in Jesus' name. So come in power, Holy Spirit, right now. In the name of Jesus, come and touch every one of these minds. Come and touch every one of these minds. In the name of Jesus. I know I can't look at every one of you personally, but I want you all to look up here at me. 
do not close your eyes because I do not want you lost in your mind right now. I want your eyes open and looking at me. Declare this with me. In the name of Jesus, I declare that I do not have to carry these images and memories any longer in the name of Jesus. I declare in Jesus' name for all of these traumatic images and memories to dry up and die right now in Jesus' name. I sever the neural pathway that leads to these images and memories and I sever my five senses, my seeing, my hearing, my tasting, my touching, and my feeling. In Jesus' name, I command all of my five senses to be severed from this neural pathway. They will no longer be triggers to these memories as they dry up and die. In Jesus' name. I speak to the place in my brain where these images have been, and I speak healing in Jesus' name. And right now, I speak to my memory center, and I say, wake up, wake up, wake up. It's okay to remember again. It's okay to dream again. I am no longer defined. By my history, by what has been done, or what, is, what I have done. I am free of shame. I am free of guilt. I am free of nightmares, night terrors, and any flashbacks. In Jesus' name. More Holy Spirit, come right now. Come in power in Jesus' name. Now everybody look, keep looking at me here. Don't close your eyes. I'm going to say, speak, you don't have to say this. I'm going to speak this over you. There's many in this room that don't sleep well. You have difficulty with insomnia. You have difficulty with nightmares and, and fear at night. You, have, you feel like demons show up in your bedroom. And we're going to deal with that right now in Jesus' name. By the power of the blood of Jesus, I declare over you right now the promise of Proverbs 3.24 that says, because you walk in covenant with God, you shall no longer lie down in fear. But it is your father's good pleasure to give his beloved children sweet sleep that Yahweh will be your confidence. So in the name of Jesus, I declare sweet sleep over every person in this room that it is part of your inheritance to have at least four 90-minute cycles of uninterrupted sleep every single night. And that all of the nightmares leave, all of the night terrors leave, and I speak angels coming and stationing themselves at your bedposts, around your bed, everywhere you go, no matter where you are, that you have angels assigned to you to watch over you as you sleep in the name of Jesus. I break the chains and the shackles of nightmares, night terrors, fears in the night, and any kind of terror trauma in Jesus' name. And I speak healing and restoration and freedom. You are no longer a slave to fear. You are a child of God. 
You are no longer a slave to fear. You are a child of God. Holy Spirit, heal the brokenhearted. Bind up their wounds. I declare shalom and wholeness over every person in this room. In the name of Jesus. Amen.